0: Drive time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God, we ought to be able to talk about him, getting you started on your day with the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's
1: serious, it's fun, it's your Catholic drive time. Now, here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise, Praise be to be Jesus, Jesus Christ.
2: Christ. Welcome oh. back to Catholic Drive Time. I'm he Rudy Carlos, that. and I'm feeling. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Looks like we had a little little fumble there. But in any case, welcome to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm Rudy Carlos. I'm filling in for Joe McClain. This is my last day hosting the show. I will return to the co-host position, hopefully tomorrow, if uh, Joe is back from his, his big vacation out in New Hampshire. I'm excited. I know, I know he's going to have a lot of crazy stories to tell us from New Hampshire, and uh, I'm excited to hear them. But today's Wednesday, November 2nd, 2022, the feast day of all souls. Please remember today to pray for those holy souls, all of those souls who have died in the light of faith, especially those uh, holy souls in purgatory. Please remember them in your prayers today. We'll, we're going to pray for them uh, in just a moment. But uh, today on CDT, the U.S. has uh, since January of, of this year pledged about $16.9 billion in security assistance to Ukraine. Now, I know this is a very contentious topic. Some people, uh, don't like to talk about this, but, uh, many of those dollars were spent bolstering their defense and w- with weapon systems. And, uh, to talk about that today and ask the question, if that aid is actually getting to them and how much oversight there is in regards to this assistance, Chris Tomlinson, who is a, a writer over at Breitbart, joins us to talk about that at 35 past the hour. And at 15 past the hour, we're going to take a look at some, uh, some some notes here about what makes a successful bishop. We're going to talk about a bishop and an article from the National Catholic Register at 15 past the hour. And in the next hour, we have uh, a wonderful article to talk about. Uh, David L. Gray could not join us today, but we're going to talk about this wonderful news that came out from uh, the Guardian of all places and uh, it documents a 10,000 uh, 10, decline in abortions since June. So we're gonna talk about all of those things today, but uh, it was a wonderful day yesterday to celebrate all saints. We had the day off here. If you uh caught part of the broadcast yesterday, you realized maybe it was a, a prerecord, so we did do that on Monday. But it was a wonderful conversation. I hope you enjoyed that and I, I hope you had uh time yesterday to go to Mass. I know uh Adrian and I did, right, Adrian?
1: Yes, sir. It was a beautiful mass and uh Father gave a a great sermon on the saints, on the fact that we need to have a greater devotion to these souls in heaven. And I think that's a good thing to think about today. Let's pray, you know, today, All Souls Day, we should be praying for the souls in purgatory, Mm. but also we should be praying to those souls that are less known, like the Holy Crusaders, the Holy Cristero martyrs, and other martyrs that are unknown.
2: Amen. Amen. Amen uh mike k joins us from virginia as well and uh, mike you went to mass yesterday as well right
3: i i did you know i had to work during the day so i went to 6:30 p.m mass here on the east coast and nice. uh, I, I was sharing with you guys before the show started with an 18 month old that was pretty rough he was ready for bed <laughs> so but, but it was a great mass and i was glad we went and uh yeah, I'm always glad I go to Mass. You know how Oh, that yeah,
2: is. It's, such a, it's such a treat, right? I, I, I had the same experience. We uh, disrupted our, our little one's sleep cycle, and that set the, uh, set the mood for the rest of the day. But uh, in any case, it was worth it. But uh, there's a lot to get to today. Why don't we start with, uh, with prayer? And we're going to remember those holy souls in purgatory, those who have died in the light of faith, especially, uh, especially those family members that we may have. We'll pray for the repose of their soul. And now your breaking news. Today is November 2nd, 2022, and here are your headlines this morning. The Epic Times reports man accused of attacking Paul Pelosi pleads not guilty to attempted murder. The man who allegedly assaulted Paul Pelosi with a hammer pleaded not guilty on November 1st to attempted murder and other charges during his first court appearance. Paul Pelosi was able to call 911 from a bathroom, and officers soon arrived. Officers witnessed a papi strike Paul Pelosi in the head with a hammer. The blow caused a skull fracture, according to Nancy Pelosi's office. Paul Pelosi later told investigators that he had never seen DePapi, though he told a dispatcher that DePapi was a friend, according to Dispatch Audio. DePapi faces up to 50 years in prison if convicted on federal charges. He faces up to life in state prison if convicted on state charges. The Washington Examiner reports Capitol Police chief calls for more resources to protect lawmakers after Paul Pelosi visit. Capitol Police Chief Tom Manger issued a statement on Tuesday, alerting the public of the need for more research resources to protect lawmakers and their families after last week's assault on Paul Pelosi. Manger said the break-in attack at the home of Speaker Nancy Pelosi's ha- uh, in San Francisco is an alarming reminder of the threats that elected officials and public figures face during today's contentious political climate. And Ground News reports U.S. manufacturing plummets to lowest level since 2020. The Institute for Supply Management Index fell 0.07 percentage points to 50.02 in October. Any number below 50% reflects a shrinking economy. The index for new orders remained in contraction territory, rising 2.1 points to 47.1. And LifeSite reports leaked FBI document classifies disinformation and misinformation as election crimes. The FBI's 2022 midterm election social media analysis cheat sheet lists misinformation, which it defines as false or misleading information spread mistakenly or unintentionally. Under the umbrella of election crimes in the context of social media, along with voter intimidation and suppression, ballot fraud and other offenses, disinformation or false or inaccurate information intended to mislead others is also listed as an election crime crime. Wow, what a leak there from that document. Those were headline news this morning. God love you. The saint of the day, well,
1: first and foremost, it's All Souls Day, so make sure you get that indulgence. Go visit a cemetery this morning or sometime today and pray in Our Father and Apostles' Creed for the Holy Souls and say, Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon them. May the souls of the faithful departed to the mercy of God rest in peace. Amen. Blessed Conradian of Bornada is a saying of the day, or rather he's a blessed, or of Briskia. Dominican, he was a Dominican preacher, and he was born in the latter part of the 14th century at Bologna. His parents, noble and wealthy Briskians, were devoted adherents of the church in a time of many ills, including, including the great Western schism. They gave their son a careful education and sent him at the age of 16 to study civil and canon law at the University of Padua. There for five years amid the pearls of unbridled license and moral disorders of the times, The youth was conspicuous for both talent and virtue, winning the esteem of his master's and compelling the respect of his fellow students. He entered the Dominican Order at Padua in 1419 and was speedily found to be a model of religious observance. After his ordination, his zeal found a fruitful expression in his eloquent preaching. He was made prior of Brescia and shortly afterwards, by appointment of the master general, Prior of the convent of Saint Dominic at Bologna, where he was to restore the strict observance. During a visitation of the Black Plague, he displayed heroic zeal and in in, intrepidly in ministering to the sick stricken people. Wow, I can say worse today. Amid political upheavals when Bologna, under the influence of Bente Vogali, had revolted against the papal authority. Conradin took a firm stand against the conduct of misguided populists for publishing the papal interdict which they had incurred but which they had disregarded. He was twice seized and imprisoned, suffering many indignities and cruelties. His courageous bearing and constant meditation finally prevailed, however, and peace was restored. Pope Martin V, in recognition of his service, sought to create him a cardinal. But the humble servant of God resolutely declined the honor. The plague breaking out anew, Conradian fell a victim to his charity and died in the midst of his heroic ministrations. His early biographers referred to him as a blessed, and he is just known as blessed by popular acclamation. He died in Bologna, November 1st, 1429. Blessed Conradin of Born- Bornada, pray. For
3: us, Today's gospel is from John chapter 6 verses 37 through 40. Everyone whom the Father gives me will come to me. I will certainly not reject anyone who comes to me because I have come from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Now the will of him who sent me is that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me and that I should raise it up on the last day. It is my father's will that whoever sees the son and believes in him should have eternal life and that I should raise that person up on the last day. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a huge gospel. Did a lot of study on this last night, so I'm going to try to unpack it very quickly. Uh, From Father Hadock, he tells us, A humble and sincere faith is essentially necessary to believe the great mysteries of the Catholic Church by means of which we come to God and believe in him. Jesus tells us, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. These Jews in this particular gospel did not believe that Christ was the true and eternal son of God who came down from heaven and was made flesh and was made man. He speaks of this faith in him when he calls himself the living bread, the mystical bread of life that came to give life everlasting to all true and faithful believers. In this sense, St. Augustine said, Why dost thou prepare thy teeth and belly? Only believe, and thou hast eaten. But afterwards, he passeth to his sacramental and real presence in the Holy Sacrament. And really, I I read this and I thought, this is why we need to go to communion. And this is why we need to share in the bread of life as often as we need it. And we should need it often. Draw to him, not by compulsion, nor by laying the free will under any necessity, but by the strong and sweet motions of his heavenly grace. Then St. Augustine tells us, believe and you come to the Father, love and you are drawn. The Jews could not believe because they would not. God, by his power, could have overcome the hardness of heart, but he was not bound to do it. Neither had they any right to expect his favor after the many miracles which they had seen. And again, while we are predestined to where we are going, we do have free will. Father Lapide tells us, God the Father gives believers to Christ because he merited this by his obedience and passion. For the merits of Christ are the cause not only of the calling in the time, but even of the eternal predestination of the faithful. Say, Chrysostom, yes, I can speak too today, Hadrian, and Cyril say that they who are given by the Father to the Son are those who by a good use of their free will have rendered themselves worthy of the vocation and grace of God. Again, we have predestination balanced with free will. So while we are predestined, it is our choices that are predestined. And we know we control our own destiny. The Father, therefore, gives unto Christ the faithful from eternity by predestining, and in time calling them to the faith after this manner and plan. That being called freely by God, they obey the call and believe, and so come unto Christ. For this is the actual cause of faith, or why anyone here and now in act believes in Christ. This cause, I say, is the grace of God stirring a man up to believe, when man of his own free will consents to the grace of God and believes. Therefore, the Father giveth us to Christ, when by his grace he causes us to be converted in act and freely believe in Christ. For as he here says himself, everyone who by the Father is given to Christ, does in reality come to Christ. Christ here speaks properly concerning predestination to faith and grace, not to glory, just as Paul does. This refers back to Psalms, Ask of me, and I will give thee the nations of thine inheritance and the ends of the earth for thy passion. Christ speaks in the future tense, Shall come to me to imitate that the Gentiles, by the preaching of the apostles, would come to him, In the Old Testament, indeed, long life and many days are promised, but now is promised not merely a long life, but endless life. At the same time, also, he wishes to show that he now revokes the punishment produced by sin by remitting the sins of death and bringing in eternal life, contrary to the decree of former times. Back to you, Rudy.
2: Thank you, Mike, for that reflection. More Catholic Drive Time right after this break in our What's Concerning Us segment. Don't go away.
0: Some atheistic scientists claim we don't need God to explain the universe because science is sufficient to get the job done. But is this true? The answer is no, and here's the reason. Science could never negate the need for God because it can't give an exhaustive explanation of the universe. First. It relies on the inductive method in order to validate its hypotheses. As such, scientists can never be certain they've discovered every piece of data necessary to give a complete explanation. They must always be open to discovering something new that could alter their current theory. Furthermore, science presupposes an existing universe to observe and explain. Thus, it could never explain why the universe exists in the first place rather than not. Science has explanatory power, but not enough power to negate the need for God. I'm Carlo Broussard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com.
2: I uh, started drinking beer on Saturday nights, uh, sleeping in on Sunday mornings, missing mass, and it just became a pattern and continued.
0: Without God, I don't know where I'd be right now. I feel like I'm whole again. I know the importance of the Eucharist. I know the importance of the sacraments that I didn't know at a young age. I follow God's will because my desire is to get to heaven. Our our lives are rich and full by being members of the church. If you've been away from the Catholic Church, visit catholicscomehome.org.
2: Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. I'm Rudy Carlos filling in for Joe McClain, who will be back tomorrow, God willing. Keep him in your prayers as well as his family. If they make it back safely... There's a lot of uh, a lot of plane uh, flight cancellations, right, Adrian? I mean, you, you experienced that yourself. But, oh, uh, I, was,
1: <laughs> a, I was supposed to leave. I was to fly out of Houston at 2 p.m. Yeah. I ended up arriving at my destination at 2 a.m. the next day. Oh, man, that is
2: just <laughs> brutal. <laughs> well, who knows? You might be stuck with us a little bit longer, but uh, that might not be such a bad thing. Well, there's a lot of news to get to, and... Uh, you know, every day we skim through the news, I particularly go through the news, and um, there's a lot of different stories that I wish we could devote more time to and discuss in, in depth. And I remember one of the stories that I presented last week was this this interesting story of how many priests feel burnt out, they feel uh, there's too much to do, they have very little trust in their bishops, and I thought this would be a good story here to to contrast to contrast that uh, particular article. And this one comes to us from the National Catholic Register, and the headline goes: Bishop who has drawn who was drawn to Catholicism by wondrous heritage of her saints, and uh, and the growth of the Church in Norway, and how it coincides with an awakening to the faith. This is a, a wonderful interview that uh, was done here by the uh, National Catholic Register. And uh, there's a couple of Norwegian names here that I'm going to try to avoid to say because <laughs> they're a little bit difficult to pronounce, and I don't have the, uh, I don't have the wherewithal to, to know how to actually pronounce it. But in any case, this is an interview with Bishop Eric Varden of Trondheim, and he discusses the roots of the expansion of the Catholic faith in Norway and the challenges that it represents in a highly secularized country. I I love when there's a story of a bishop that is doing well, and I, I love to share these these stories with people because you know some of our listeners are priests, some of our listeners perhaps are bishops, and it'd be good to take a take what's what's really working in the church and run with it. You know, so the uh, the uh, the interview starts this way. It says Norway is one of the countries usually presented as the ultimate example of what a society in advanced state of secularism looks like. The studies conducted in recent years have revealed that a majority of Norwegians no longer believe in God and lend credence to theories that postulate that Europe has already entered the post-Christian era. That may seem like a really crazy thing to to think about, but uh, really, when you look at Europe or you look at the the sorts of uh, political rhetoric you see, the the sorts of things that are uh, passed as so-called uh, rights of the people, um, the way that people live, the way that people think—it's not so far-fetched to believe that Europe is entering into a post-Christian era. In fact, many years ago, Bishop Fulton Sheen talked about the decline of Christendom. He talked about the 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 way that. That we live now, and when he says now, that was like I think it was in the eighties, and he was talking about uh, this this death of Christendom. Christendom. We're living in the post Christendom era, so it's not a far fetched thing to believe. However, there are little lights out in the distance in the darkness. Uh, you know, when we hear news of Julia Maloney talking about uh, her Christian faith and bringing Christianity back and uh, Christian values into the the country. That gives us a little bit of uh, of hope there.
1: You know, it's interesting you you say that, Rudy, because uh, the, over the weekend and the conference I went to, I went to the the TFP conference in uh, Spring Grove, Pennsylvania. I mentioned that on, on Monday, but yeah. one of the subjects of the of the discussion was on rebuilding Christian civilization on Amen. rebuilding Christendom, and it is interesting because he was saying, you know, people will like to say. This is a horrible idea," he said. He said the the Debbie Downers are always out there saying <laughs> it's impossible. You can't do it. It's a you can't do this. And it's interesting because they are saying, like, of course we can't do this because it's not going to be done by us. It's going right. to be done by our Lord. And it, he referred to the the quote by Saint Ignatius saying that we should pray as if everything depends on God and work as if everything depends on us. Mm. And so we should fight for Christian civilization in everything we do, uh, make bringing out our faith into the public square with rosary rallies, with rosary processions, with Eucharistic processions, Marian processions. We should bring our faith to the public square. We should fight for just laws. We should do all these things. But at the same time, we have to implore heaven to, to give us Christendom, to give us holy leaders to give us all these things and i think that's uh, something that we should we should have hope we should always have yeah. uh,
2: this positive outlook on these things amen saint ignatius pray for us and when uh, we go into the public it definitely affects the hearts of the people just like this good bishop the article goes on to say but like in sweden which has been witnessing an unexpected phenomenon of re- of the return to uh, the traditional catholic faith in recent years Catholicism in Norway has expanded particularly rapidly over the past two decades, according to an estimate by a Norwegian website I cannot pronounce. Registered members of the Catholic Church have grown from 95,655 in 2015 to 160,884 in 2019. That's a pretty healthy increase there. These figures, while encouraging, don't fully capture a complex and changing reality that Bishop Erik Varden of Trondheim in central Norway explored in an interview with the Register along with other issues such as the Norwegian government's recent ban on conversion therapies in cases of gender dysphoria, so-called, and the spiritual journey that led him to embrace the Catholic faith after being born a Lutheran. The first Norwegian-born bishop of Trondheim in modern times, Bishop Varden, belongs to the Cistercian order. From 2015 to 2019, he was abbot of Mount St. Bernard Abbey in um, Licensure, Licensure England? I cannot pronounce anything today. (laughs) Licensure? Worcestershire, just kidding. Anyway, in England, where he already attracted media attention for overseeing the brewing of the UK's first Trappist beer in 2018. Also, a spiritual writer, Bishop Varden, Studied in Cambridge and Rome and taught Syriac language, monastic history, and Christian anthropology at at the Pontifical Athenaeum of St. Anselm in Rome from 2011 to 2013. I didn't get much sleep last night. Uh, The first question here when asked, uh, you took leadership at the territorial prelature of Trondheim in 2020 after having resided for a long time abroad, especially in England where Catholicism is also a minority. What is the specific reality of the Catholic Church in Norway and in your diocese? He then goes on to answer. At the risk of sounding banal, I'd say that the most salient specificity is the church's Catholicity here in the the prelature. For being in a situation of extreme dysphoria, we we have in our midst Catholics from 130 different nations representing a variety of rights. It is a challenge, of course, to create unity out of such diversity. But it's an interesting and beautiful challenge. I ascertain with thankfulness that there is a great vitality in the Church of Trondheim, not least among the young. And then the uh, the interviewer goes on to ask, how do you explain the phenomenon of the growth of Catholicism in Norway? And he says, growth has come about primarily through immigration, mostly from Poland and Lithuania. But there is also a steady trickle of conversions. Formerly Catholic converts tended to come to other Christian denominations. This still sometimes is the case, but the general tendency is rather that people now find their way to the church from a non-religious background. The discovery of the Catholic Church coincides with an awakening to faith. And this is a beautiful thing to point out. Uh, When we talk about Henry VIII, King Henry VIII in England, and, uh, and we talk about how one man corrupted the faith of England, we then have to talk about how God will have his souls. And then we see at a similar time that Our Lady appears to all of those pagans in in in, uh, in Mexico, and millions of souls enter the church that way. God will have his souls, and in a time where we're we're way past Christendom and uh, seeming decline of the church, God will have his souls. That gives me a lot of faith. The next question would be: uh, a similar growth of the Catholic Church can be observed in Sweden which is also partially explained by immigration. But there also seems to be a movement of conversion of locals because the Catholic Church in Sweden has, according to them, sunk less into progressive excesses than the Protestant churches, which is an interesting thing to point out. Consequently, there is a particular attraction for traditionalist churches, especially among young Swedes. Is this something you also witness in your country? He goes on to answer, In 1963, when the Council Fathers approved Sacrosanctum Concilium, They stress that the earthly liturgy should be a foretaste of the heavenly liturgy, which is celebrated in the holy city of Jerusalem, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. That's a beautiful quote from Sacrosanctum Cochilium. He says, In my experience, this is what people, both young and old, long for. It's not just young people who want this. It's the old, too. We are called to pursue this goal with determination and humility. In the unity of the church. Moreover, to be Catholic, as far as I can see, is to steer clear of excesses, be they progressive or regressive. What matters is to receive the fullness of tradition in order. I'll pause here and I'll say before we go into arms, because I said tradition. He's talking about the magisterium of the church, the unchanged uh, teachings of the church that have been passed on. He says, with gratitude and humility, to pass it on undiminished. The noun traditio, let's not forget, primarily indicates a dynamic process. In times such as ours, marked by corporate amnesia, many young people naturally wish to drink deeply from the sources of the past. That is good. We are called to emulate the example of Isaac, that mysterious patriarch who spent much of his life unstopping the wells dug by his father Abraham, which the Philistines had filled with gravel to prevent the Israelites' flocks from thriving. But tradition no less calls on us to be perspective. a Christian is one who is on who is in forward movement and the uh, the article goes on to uh, to talk about many many different things, including his relationship with the Norwegian government. but I thought that uh, that first segment here is is enough to talk about here in in detail. What is working here in Norway We are seeing we're seeing that people, young and old, they want to participate in this heavenly liturgy. They seek and, and, and want to be united to God so intimately. And that's what we get to do every single Sunday at Holy Mass. It is a wonderful opportunity to explore what is working here in Norway. It's the passing on of tradition. It's not a bringing us down, uh, becoming a worldly church but reaching out to the world and saying we have something greater here we have the most holy sacrifice of the mass where christ himself is again sacrificed in an unbloodied manner how wonderful an opportunity we have here we must cling to our our faith our catholic faith our rich traditions which have been passed on to us we stand on the shoulders of giants They have passed on this great patrimony of ours. And we get to experience that every single Sunday. What a beautiful thing. May our Lord triumph and reign in every single heart. And never forget that you're at the foot of the cross every single Sunday. More Catholic drive time right after this break. Don't go away. This
0: is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. How many times have you heard someone talk about how important it is to be progressive? Have you ever asked them what they mean by that? G.K. Chesterton says, Progress is a useless word, for progress takes for granted an already defined direction, and it's exactly about the direction that we disagree. We can't have progress until we've stated what our goal is, and then we can determine whether or not we're moving closer to it, or farther from it. The real question is not whether we are progressive, but what is our goal? My goal is to get to heaven and to help others get there too. What's yours? Want Chesterton for more than a minute? Visit our website at chesterton.org.
4: First off, I'd just like to say um, I did uh, five years in prison in Texas and thanks to the Guadalupe Radio Network down there and your ministry, there is a lot of us getting back on track. And especially a big thank you to all your donors who donate to the network and uh, it really helps a lot of us felons find the way and find that the, the Catholic truth and get back on track. So really thank you for that. The
5: Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul.
2: Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm Carlos here, and uh, typically in this time we uh, do the news. Now, Adrian, it seems like we got a our timelines mixed up here. In any case, it is Wednesday, November the second, and here's a couple more headlines for you today. The Postmillennial uh, reports missing ABC producer spotted for the first time in months after the FBI raid that uh, happened at his home. ABC producer James Horton Meek is no longer missing after being spotted at his elderly mother's townhouse, though he refuses to answer any questions surrounding the FBI raid that uh, brought his career to a halt. Investigative reporter and Emmy writer Meek Resigned from ABC after his apartment was raided by FBI agents in April and hasn't been seen since. Make also stepped away from participating in an award ceremony week, one week later, where he was due to collect a prize for his coverage of the fumbled withdrawal from Afghanistan. We tried to have um, someone to come onto the show to talk about this. this it's called Operation Pineapple. And uh, just kind of got into a dead end kind of at the same time. So it's an interesting developing story there. The Daily Caller reports Biden yelled at Zelensky during a phone call about Ukraine aid. Biden lost his temper during the June 15th call after Zelensky did not appear to show enough gratitude for the aid the U.S. had just sent to Ukraine. The president had just told Zelensky that he had approved over $1 billion in military aid when Zelensky started speaking about additional aid. Ukraine still needed uh, to defend itself against Russia, according to the outlet. Biden then reportedly raised his voice and told Zelensky that he could show more gratitude for everything the U.S. was already doing. And Breitbart reports Pentagon says United States military personnel operating in Ukraine to track weaponry. The United States military personnel have been uh, deployed to Ukraine to, uh, it's claimed, keep track of weaponry and ammunition supplied at the expense of the American taxpayer, the Pentagon says in order to alleviate concerns that the american military equipment will end up on the black market a u.s defense attache of military personnel was sent under the command of uh, general garrick harman to conduct arms inspections of weapons supplied to the ukrainians and to talk a little bit more about these uh, these arms and potential arms smuggling and oversight generally of uh, all of this uh, american aid to ukraine we have a very special guest from breitbart he's a uh, Chris Tomlinson, he's uh, a writer over at Breitbart, and uh, we welcome you to the show. Good morning. Looks like he's muted. I think you're muted there. Um, Let's see if we can uh, get him on there. In any case, we invited uh, Mr. Tomlinson to join us and talk about this uh, Ukrainian aid that that we've been sending as of – As of now, since January, we've pledged $16.9 billion in security assistance to Ukraine. And uh, there's been a lot of stories in the news of uh, general oversight. Some people have said that um, a lot of this this weaponry doesn't actually get to Ukraine. Some of it does. It gets there late. But uh, in any case, Chris, can you hear us now? Looks like we're having some connection issues here. Yeah. In any case, uh, we're going to work to get Chris on there, but uh, he wrote a, a wonderful article here at Breitbart, and the headline goes, uh, EU worried about risk of weapons smuggling from Ukraine war. European Commissioner Ilva Johansson has outlined the European Union's plan to stop the flow of arms from the Ukrainian conflict from ending up in the hands of criminals in member states. Johansson, uh, WAPS, Johansson Waps serves as EU Commissioner for Home Affairs, and the EU was better prepared to combat illegal arms trafficking than in previous years when weapons had been smuggled out of the former Yugoslav states and ended up in the hands of criminals across the continent. According to Johansson, the risk of weapons coming into the the EU is high and said at the moment the weapons are being used to defend themselves against the Russian invasion. But one day this war will be over, and we have learned that weapons can be lost long after the war has ended. Swedish broadcaster SVT reports, and this is a very apt point to make. You know, we're sending dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of arms over for this conflict, and eventually, you know, God willing, this this will end. This war will end, and uh, what happens to all of those things, those uh, weapons that we send over there? Uh, sometimes they get uh, re- acquisitioned and they uh, become surplus. Other times they uh, they get lost. Like for example, in Afghanistan, when we withdrew, we left a lot of equipment there. And what happened? Well, uh, people picked it up and they went along with it. And uh, now we we have no no way of tracking any of that. But uh, let me see if uh, Mr. Tomlinson is able to to hear us now. Uh, are you there, Mr. Tomlinson? now he's still muted okay um we're having some connection issues with the mr tomlinson we'll continue with this article now according to johansson the u has already set up a security hub in moldova which borders ukraine in order to tackle possible weapon smuggling through the country and is staffed with members of the european police agency europol and the border agency frontex moldova has a long border with Ukraine, much of which is controlled by Russians through Transnistria. It is important that we're there and strengthen together, Moldova, Johansson said. I think we have a pretty good chance of getting a different development than we had after the years of the former Yugoslavia. We have completely different muscles today, she added. Concerns over arms being smuggled from the Ukraine conflict into the European Union have, ra- have been raised for months with a report from May claiming that weapons were already being sold on encrypted messaging apps, but it's not clear whether it was Ukrainian or Russian nationals selling the weapons. Among the weapons allegedly on offer were Soviet-era AK-47 rifles, American-made rifles such as the M4 and the M16, as well as weapons originating from other NATO countries. Now, we've, uh, we've tried to have this conversation several times uh, in the past, And uh, some of the people that we've invited have uh, declined to speak about it, maybe because it's it's a very hot-button issue. Um, I I know that uh, we've talked to uh, a lot of different people about the the conflict in Ukraine – uh, Mike, I know that uh, you have a very uh, good way of looking at this particular issue. Uh, right, right before the the show started, we were on a, we were on a call, and <laughs> you mentioned to us uh, this this very good advice about looking at uh, Ukraine. You mind sharing that with our? our oh listeners? no,
3: no, I, I share, it and it goes for a lot of geopolitical uh, international geopolitical issues. If you've picked a side, you picked wrong. <laughs>
2: exactly and, and you
3: know i was listening to you as you recounted chris's article and chris can you hear us i'm just going to give you yeah some, i can hear you oh there we go praise be to god oh, we got him we got yeah him? we got him all right oh perfect
2: perfect that is uh wonderful advice there if you picked a side you've already lost uh, that's that's great advice mike uh chris it's very good to have you on thank you for for joining us for your time this morning sorry for the technical difficulties there but uh, welcome to the show
6: um, so I just wanted to uh, say thank you very much for having me on, and also a very blessed uh, All Souls Day to you and to everybody listening.
2: Amen. Amen, brother. Thank you for that. So this article you wrote is, is very concerning here. I, I mean, how uh, what are we talking about here? Obviously, this is a, 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 a developing story, but uh, do you really think that uh, having this, this organization out there is really going to stop the flow of the arms from the conflict?
6: Uh, I think it'll do a little bit, but you know, these people who are trafficking in these, uh, in weapons are just like people who traffic in drugs and people mm-hmm. who traffic in, uh, in, in, in migration and illegal, uh, uh, migrants as well. There, there's gonna be a lot of them that are gonna get caught, but there's also gonna be a lot of people that, that really won't. And the fact is that there's so much money going into Ukraine right now and there's so many weapons being just thrown in there. I was reading, um something yesterday saying that I think Latvia's spent 41% of their military budget wow. in Ukrainian military aid. And they're not a big country, but that's a huge amount. And those kind of numbers are being repeated across various other countries as well, and just billions and billions are going into it. And so a lot of people are really worried that uh, you know not necessarily high Mars or any of these kind of major weapon systems are going to end up with street gangs in Malmo, Sweden, or in Marseille, France, or something. But there is a very real possibility that uh, automatic rifles, hand grenades, small arms, pistols, uh, things like that, that can be easily smuggled, uh, will be uh, smuggled across the border with uh, Moldova, mm-hmm. which is, which is currently controlled by a very um, sympathetic uh, sort of breakaway region called Transnistria. that's very sympathetic to Russia. And so depending on who's smuggling the arms, the, you know, that there's a very real possibility that these places can be bribed. Officials can be bribed very easily in order to get these weapons into uh, countries that will have less of a a border security. Because once you're in, obviously, in the European Union, there are no borders, really. Uh, And if there are border checks, they're going to be much more sparse than they are on getting across just that one uh, border with Moldova.
2: I see. Well, we're right almost at a break here, but uh, I'd like to ask you right after this, this short break, to talk about uh, why it 's taken so long for the United States, there was another another article here, but why is this, why it 's taken so long for the United States to become involved in trying to track down the weaponry as far as I know, this is probably the first time that i 've read anything that had to do with with the Pentagon becoming involved in keeping track of the weaponry that 's being sent over there and. As you mentioned in the, in the article, I mean, this is dozens and dozens and dozens of, of uh, weaponry that's, that's being sold. That's potentially, uh, potentially going to be uh, sold on the black market. Well, uh, we're going to talk about that right after the break. And uh, thank you so much for bearing with us here. We have uh, our good friend, uh, Chris Tomlinson from Breitbart. And we're going to continue our conversation right after this break on Catholic Drive Time. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
8: Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend: Is the Bible sufficient to answer all questions about Christian living and church life? Well, the answer is definitively no. There isn't agreement on scores of doctrinal issues such as the effects of baptism, who can receive communion, once saved, always saved, abortion, or how about eligibility for marriage after divorce? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, fruit analysis. Luther, Calvin, and Zwingli, who are the fathers of non-Catholic Christianity, did not rid the unbiblical practices. That they despised but instead turned out to be the progenitors of some 50 denominations and scores of divergent beliefs secondly natural reason well if the bible alone is supposed to clarify all beliefs the very fact that such division prevails is actually proof that an arbiter of doctrine is desperately needed and thirdly the golden twins sacred scripture and sacred tradition will always prevail as the foundation of all christian truth doctrines and beliefs remember identical twins come from one egg
2: Please be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We have a good guest here, Chris Tomlinson. He's a writer over at Breitbart. And uh, again, we thank you for your time, Chris, for joining us on the show. Now, Right before the break, we were talking about your article, recent article over at Breitbart. You can check it out. We'll link it on our social feeds. Headline goes, EU worried about risk of weapons smuggling from Ukraine war. And uh, we, we talked a little bit about all of the different weapons that Potentially are being sold on the black market. But uh, right before the break, I mentioned, you know, there's a lot of news out there about Ukraine and the, the Russian war. And uh, for the very first time, I saw an article by one of your one of your peers there at uh, at Breitbart, Kurt Zindulka, And he talks about how the Pentagon just sent over an attaché. To Ukraine to track the weaponry that's being sent over by uh, by the US and uh, paid for by the American taxpayers so th- there seems to be a little bit of oversight here but I'm wondering Chris, why has it taken so long for the us to send uh, send people over there to track what's being uh, sent over to Ukraine
6: I mean I think that one of the big parts of it is probably the European Union itself uh, has pushed. For America to do this, because I don't think that the European Union is able to do as much on the ground uh, as the United States is, because the United States obviously has a lot more um, invested, uh, a lot more people uh, that are sort of working with the Ukrainian government. It's a much larger partner than mm-hmm. the European Union and the individual member states of the European Union, and just has the resources to be able to track things and to be able to do this. And I think a big reason uh, for the Pentagon doing it now is. The winter is coming and I, I, I think that the resolve of European countries to continue to support sanctions and to continue to support uh, uh President Zelensky and his uh his country in this war uh is going to be tested um when rising energy prices go up and, and, and whatnot. And so if you add criminals getting uh high powered uh military grade weaponry into that as, as something that the US could be doing, but isn't doing, then I think, you know, that's just going to add into Europe being becoming tired and becoming uh, weary or war weary, as it were, mm. uh, about this war. And so I think a big part of it is really just to keep the morale in Europe up and to to be able to just not add one more thing that Europe's having to deal with on top of this energy crisis, uh, inflation and all the other things that's going on right now in Europe
2: that's a very good point, yes uh, when we talk about the the oncom the, the incoming uh, energy energy crisis uh, that definitely will test the will of the people, especially with uh, countries like Germany who are very dependent on uh, russian gas natural gas to to heat their their homes um, we'll see how it plays out, but uh, it's it's a very unique situation. We actually read an article that was written in September that was talking about how uh things might get pretty tough and uh, challenge these people. But that's a very good point. Uh, I know uh, our our friend Mike, who's co-hosting today, had a question for you as well. Mike, go ahead.
3: I, I actually have a couple, Chris. And the first one I have is, reading your article, I was noticing you were talking about the potential that either Russia or Ukrainian mafia was essentially selling these weapons. I was wondering if it's not likely if they're both doing that.
6: To be honest, yeah, I mean there there is a, a large chance because uh if you remember very early in the in the war, uh Mr Zelensky uh was just handing out uh, old uh A K forty sevens and other old Soviet era weaponry to anybody who wanted one. And so the chances of somebody saying, you know, I can't afford food or I don't have you know, the, the basics or whatever because of the war. If I maybe sell this gun onto some unscrupulous person, they give me some money for it, then I can afford to buy, uh, the things that I need. And so the, the potential for arms trafficking is very high. Uh, it's also very high for the Russians because the Russians obviously, when they were invading and, and when they were making ground in the early stages of the war, they were picking up a lot of weaponry and, some of that weaponry is compatible with what they have uh, the Soviet era stuff, but a lot of the NATO stuff really isn't, so for them, I mean it's just going to take up space and so what's the easiest mm. thing to do I'll well, just to sell it on and to get rid of it
3: well, the NATO weaponry of course, is much higher quality as well and probably demands a greater price, wouldn't you think
6: oh absolutely, but the thing is that you the Russians really can't use a lot of it because they don't have the supply systems to be able to replace parts and and whatnot. So for them, it's you know keep it in a storage thing. And uh, and if the Ukrainians come back, well, they've got their weapons again. But mm-hmm. you know, you sell them on to some criminal underworld or whatever in in some country in Eastern Europe or or even Western Europe as well. Um, it's much more valuable uh, to be able to do that. I mean, it's the same thing we've seen with uh, with, with countries that have being able to shoot down uh, maybe a helicopter or, you know, Afghanistan, actually a great example uh, when they, the Taliban was able to capture all of that uh, American hardware. You know, there were rumors that they were selling them on to the Iranians, to the Chinese and to other people just so they could take them apart and have a look at them. Yeah, yeah. There's, the other uh,
3: thing I want to ask you about is um, how is U.S. manufacturing keeping up with this huge demand in Ukraine? Do you have any insight to that?
6: I, I would expect that it's fine, to be honest. I mean, the, the military-industrial complex of the United States is a behemoth, and it always has been. Um, producing small arms and producing e- even larger arms, I don't think really taxes the uh, the American in- industrial output all that much. Um, I do think that it's harder in other countries. So, for example, the, in the UK and Sweden and other places that do manufacture arms, um, mainly sort of anti-tank uh, weapons and uh, like javelins and things like that, I think they are having a harder time because their industrial base really can't cope with the idea of a full scale war. Uh, it's just not their economies just aren't really um, prepared for it. Whereas the United States, I think, is, is much more prepared for, for any conflict, really, even something on the scale of uh, the current conflict with Ukraine and Russia.
2: Yeah, that was a very good point about uh, Afghanistan. You know, uh, that was a very recent example of of what happens when we send so much weaponry to a particular area and we just kind of let it go. Um, But I'm wondering, you know, there was another story that we talked about today, which was uh, that President Biden had uh, lost his temper with Zelensky because it seems as if he was not satisfied with the amount of aid that the U.S. is sending. I I know that the, the U.S. probably has sent... Almost the most amount of aid at, at the at the at the moment, and also there's different countries that are, are sending a lot of aid to uh, to Ukraine. I'm just wondering, what do you think? I mean, have we sent enough? And why would uh, Zelensky still not be satisfied with uh, with the contributions that have been made?
6: I think it's really interesting um, because. Obviously, you see, if you really follow this conflict, you see Mr. Zelensky uh, sort of doing his rounds all the time and, and asking for aid from various countries. And the U.S. has definitely given the most. I think I think that's kind of undeniable that the United States has given him the most money of anybody. Um, but it really raises some interesting questions. One, where is the money going? Uh, two, what does that say for the state of the current conflict? Because, you know, what we've heard recently is that the Ukrainians in places like Kherson and and other areas have been making gains against the Russians. And if he is continually needing more arms and more uh, money, you have to question what the loss rate is for the Ukrainians against the Russians, whether they're just throwing everything uh, in the kitchen sink and then asking for more or whether they are really being as decisive as the media, mainstream media, I should say is portraying them because if, if they're really not doing that well against the Russians, well, that would explain why they need more money and why they need more arms. But if they are doing really well, we have to ask, where is that money going?
2: Yeah, it's that's, uh, that's, uh, that's the, the question of the century, I would say. Now, as a journalist, you have a, a very unique perspective on this. And I'm just wondering, you know, when it comes to news about... The ukraine and russia conflict it's very difficult to suss out the the truth the the real from from the the falsehood uh what what a, what sort of advice would you give to a regular joe who's trying to keep up with the conflict itself how do they find the news uh regarding this conflict
6: i think it's really difficult it's a very good question because in the early stages of the war we saw a lot of stories that were clearly fake mm. um Stuff like the 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 ghost of Kiev and and I, I believe there was one story of a grandmother taking down a drum with a pickle jar or something like that. Um, <laughs> just, and so the things that were the, you know the obviously ludicrous um, if you, if you informed that, but people were intentionally spreading these and saying that it was good for the morale of of mm. the Ukrainians. I don't think in the long term it really was because it was giving them an expectation of something that wasn't actually matching the reality of of what was actually going on. And so it is very difficult because on one hand, you have both sides are obviously interested in their own propaganda and obviously interested in their own, their own goals. Mm-hmm. And their governments are increasingly, especially, uh, well, both of them now, um, increasingly pushing one narrative. And if they stray from that narrative in any way, uh, I mean, people are getting arrested in, in both Ukraine and Russia. Um, for expressing uh, things that maybe could be seen as uh, going against their country's uh, interests in this war. Right. And so it is very, very difficult. I think when you see both sides reporting very similar things, then it's a good indicator that those things are true. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you see one side reporting something that doesn't seem to be accurate, whether they say something like, you know, one side just lost 6,000 soldiers in five minutes, or something, then you could probably say that that's probably not the case, um, but the fog of war is always going to have uh, great difficulties in finding accurate uh, reporting on the ground because everybody does have an interest. And we, we see that in, in every war and it's usually not until years and years after the conflict ends that we actually get a proper assessment of, of what happened, uh, so this isn't really anything new in terms of warfare so just take everything with with a pinch of salt would be my my uh, advice and try and find sources from pro uh ukraine or pro russia that that match up uh reasonably and then try and make your own inferences from
2: that yeah definitely well there's a lot to pray for in this particular situation there's a lot of people caught in the middle of of these two different governments, but uh, in the last few minutes here, I think we have about a minute or two. Um, just wondering, how do you anticipate the war to to look like as we go into into winter? Uh, what do you what do you uh, expect to see there?
6: Well, I think there's been a huge shift uh, in the Russian approach ever since uh, they they had a new uh, general. I, I can't remember his his name off the top of my head, but uh, he's known as uh, General Armageddon uh, oh, because wow. of how how he his tactics in Syria when uh, Russia was uh, was fighting the Islamic State and um, his tactics are known to be brutal. Uh, he is not afraid of uh, bombing infrastructure, which is not something that you saw from the Russians in the early days of the war. And so, I, I'm expecting uh, a big push from the Russians in the, in the coming weeks and months.
2: I see. Well, Chris, thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate you. Please make sure to check out Breitbart.com. Search for Chris Tomlinson. You'll see all of his articles linked up there. Thank you again, Chris, for your time. And uh, praise be to God, that's going to do it for this hour. But there's more Catholic Drive Time right after this break. We're going to have, I think, Brent Haynes might be on. And we're going to talk about this great news, reduction of abortion since the passing of Roe versus Wade, or the overturning, I should say. Be right back. This is your captain
0: speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to pray for religious vocations. Wouldn't it be great if everyone prayed daily for vocations to the religious life? Why
8: not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question if you're a non-Catholic friend. Was the Catholic Church in existence as far back as the first three centuries? Well, who's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism? Number one, baseball. In September 1845, the New York Knickerbocker Baseball Club was formally established and called baseball. Rules were set included a diamond-shaped infield, foul lines, and the three-strike rule. But seven years before that, in 1775, that game was already being played on schoolyards, well before it was ever called baseball. Secondly, the Apostolic Fathers such as Tertullian, Clement, St. Ignatius all wrote before 215 A.D. about the authority of the local bishop. And they used the name, the Catholic Church, which already had the liturgy, the Eucharist, the readings, the relics, a hierarchy, and jurisdiction. And thirdly, my take. To fishermen, a dolphin was just a big fish until they were termed dolphins. But they were always dolphins. And baseball was baseball well before it was termed baseball. And you will love this. The early church was the Catholic Church well before Constantine the Great, the Nicene Creed, and your church history book. Thank you for listening to KSHJ, 1430 AM. Catholic radio heard throughout Metro Houston on the Guadalupe Radio Network. When's the last time you've been to confession? Log on to archgh.org and find a parish
2: near you. By the way, praise be to God. I hope he's rested and uh, I hope we get to hear all of the stories. Joe always has really good stories. Well, uh, last hour, we had Chris Tomlinson on. We had a little bit of technical difficulties there. Apologize for that. But, uh, hey, there's a lot, of, a lot of spinning plates here. And uh, if you miss part of that conversation, you can always check out uh, the, the, the the podcast feed, which is conveniently at, linked up at GRN Online forward slash CDT. You can check out all of the podcasts there after, uh, after the show is done. I think it uh, gets updated the next uh, the hour after the show. And uh, you can also go on to grnonline.com forward slash CDT and find all of our social media links. So you can click on any of those and join us for the after show right after the show where we uh, loosen up our ties, let our hair down a little bit. and We talk about anything, really. Sometimes we talk about food, cars. We talk about movies. But the conversation is always driven by you. And uh, if you don't leave the conversation, we talk about it. We talk about those things, things above food, cars, movies and that sort of thing. But it was a wonderful hour. And I appreciate you uh, bearing with us there. And this hour, we're going to be talking with Brent Haynes, who was supposed to be on yesterday, but we had a prerecord. So he'll call in and we'll talk to him what's on his radar. But uh, there was this wonderful story out of the The Guardian of All Places. <laughs> And uh, the headline goes: U.S. abortions decrease by ten thousand since the repeal of Roe v.ersus Wade in June. This is an absolute win. Uh, they go on to talk about uh, they talk about this this project that keeps track of abortions. It's, it, they say that the new research from the National Research Project, We Count, shows that with federal abortions protections rolled back, there have been ten thousand five hundred seventy. Fewer legal abortions, which is a six percent decline, than estimates in April before the June ruling. That is uh, such good news. I remember one of the things that uh, that uh, was a tremendous had a tremendous impact on my wife back when this is years and years and years ago when uh, she was just coming back into the church. She still had to shed this idea of abortion as a so-called right. And uh, we did the Walk for Life. We went to a Requiem Mass for the unborn. And at the end of the Mass, they would have uh, like so many candles. I can't remember how many there were, but there's hundreds and hundreds of candles. They would put them around this altar. And every candle represented an unborn life that had been taken from the, the, the rise of the day to the setting of the sun. And that was such an impactful moment for my wife that she realized that this was actually a, a very grave moral evil. And uh, I know that this, this particular group here, We Count, is kind of spieling it as if, oh, this is horrible, you know. They do go on to talk about how these are actual, you know, abortions that you would go and get at a Planned Parenthood, for for instance. But they, they also point out that this isn't including, you know, the, the – the, abortions that would that would typically be counted by uh self-induced you know using the uh medication and that sort of thing but either way uh, although that's probably on the rise we do have to celebrate this great $10,000 uh, $10,000 uh, yeah. 10,000 lives that were spared abortion from yeah, abortion yeah it's
1: really great we used to do this thing at school every year where we would set up crosses for every single uh, a life that was taken by abortion and there just was not enough space to put them all. So we'd have to like say, well, each cross is symbolic of a hundred lives or something wow. like that. Because there were just so many deaths every year. And it's amazing to say 10,000, uh, women were, to, uh, had to, um, have their child, had to give birth to their child, which is imagine in 20 years. Imagine yeah. in 20 years when we find out these, these children that we're finding out now are adults. And they're going to be able to say, I survived abortion. I am alive today because of my of the courts and the, the Supreme Court justices who came out and they defended life. That's going to be an amazing day to hear those interviews. And I, I just I cannot wait to see those stories because that's 10,000. That's what, three months? Imagine what's going to happen in, in a year. That's so, that's such good news, especially since we're also seeing the decline of births, the decline of life, all these things. And now we're going to actually have babies being born. We're going to have new life. I just think about how many people graduated in your graduating class. For me, it was like less than 300. Really? And that filled up our entire auditorium. That's like our class, like times 30, times 50. That's that's absolutely absurd to think about how many lives are 10,000, and how many people will be walking this earth because of those Supreme Court justices. Uh, Joining us right now, though, is Brent Haynes. Brent, what do you think about these lives that are being saved, and they're just reported out of The Guardian, uh, that 10,000 abortions have been stopped due to the actions of the Supreme Court?
7: Well, uh, this is a blessing that, you know, pro-life activists have been praying for for 50 years, that when you're able to have broad action that genu- genuinely shuts down abortion facilities, you know, in entire states or regions, uh, when uh, women are not able to just, say, go from one facility that's shut down or one city that's shut down to another across the state line very easily, that there uh, really will be an elimination or sharp decline in abortion. So it's a real blessing, isn't it?
2: Yeah, Absolutely. That's uh, a wonderful story. Some good news today, but uh, Brent, what's on your radar this this week? Uh what, what uh, what's going on on in the world of law?
7: Well, just uh, two quick hits this morning. Uh, first, the big case that a lot of people probably caught some headlines on—the issue of affirmative action—is back at the United States Supreme Court. Um, this affects our listeners who are. Hoping to uh, go to college or hoping to send their children to college. Affirmative action has been a recurring issue at the Supreme Court for the past 50 years. Uh, much like uh, Roe and the abortion controversies, the difficulty with affirmative action is, you know, under the uh, United States Constitution and under federal law, the Civil Rights Act, you're not supposed to discriminate on the basis of race, mm. right? Yeah. But of course, there is a history of racial discrimination and uh, disadvantages and the inequities that have resulted from that. So in an effort to redress that with remedial measures, uh, a lot of people advocated affirmative action, which other people would call reverse discrimination. And these policies have been entrenched in the school systems for years uh, for colleges and for graduate schools. And the Supreme Court has had several cases over the years. They've had, they, yeah, they had the famous Bakke case, which came from uh, University of California was a medical school case. Um, they had a the case of uh, rottinger uh, which was a case from uh, or, I'm sorry Grutter versus Bollinger. the name there, which is a case from my alma mater at the University of Michigan, although it was at the law school there. Um, these cases go to the Supreme Court Supreme Court keeps wrestling with them because you have that contradiction that they're trying to address a a, a problem that's arisen from our past. When our very found, uh, foundational law, of the Constitution, and then our statutory law, Civil Rights Act and other laws say, look, you're not supposed to discriminate on the basis of race. So you can see there's a conflict there. Well, uh, a group called Students for Fair Admissions brought a lawsuit against Harvard because Harvard has been pretty blatant about this. Mm-hmm. And what it shows is that they just consistently – admit fewer Asian American students and fewer Caucasian students and more students of uh, other minorities. And when you look at the statistics on uh, the objective measurable factors related to admission, such as test scores and grades, over the years, i are just able to get pretty strong evidence that Harvard is just using race as an overt way of discriminating. So this case has gone back and forth a couple of times. The Supreme Court has taken the case. And then interestingly, of course, we now have the new justice on the Supreme Court, uh, Ketanji Brown Jackson, and she was on the board of overseers of Harvard, oh. their board of, board of trustees. Interesting. So she's recused, she's recused from that case. So also Harvard is a private university. And the law often is different for private institutions as opposed to public institutions. Mm. So the Supreme Court has also taken a case from the University of North Carolina on a, on the same issue. Now, a lot of uh, people who have been hoping to end this uh, race-focused policy and hoping to get back to a colorblind type of admission, uh, the way Martin Luther King Jr., for example, advocated for it, you know, his his famous crusade for uh, racial liberty and racial equality. You know, they're very optimistic that the Supreme Court will hand down a decision that will end affirmative action. However, uh, there are a lot of observers now. What happened is the United States Supreme Court has just held an oral argument on that Monday. I see. So the observers are coming out, they've listened to the oral argument, and they're starting to put out their opinions, but predicting how the United States Supreme Court will rule based on oral argument is almost like, you know, tea, reading tea leaves.
2: Reading tea leaves, yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> Brent, I'm wondering, do you have a, a background in how this uh, affirmative action came to be in schools in the first place? I, I know I've read uh, some particular schools have done this to make up for some sort of sordid pass, but I'm not entirely sure what that means. Do you have any background in that information?
7: Well, look, you know, up until, up until the 1950s and the 1960s, the school system in the United States or in much of the United States was entirely segregated, of course. So you had Brown versus the Board of Education in the 1950s where the Supreme Court said that uh, schools could not be segregated. Before that, there was the separate but equal doctrine. Mm. And finally, the Supreme Court came out and said, look, you can't have separate schools. Desegregate, segregation is illegal. And that applied to, you know, elementary schools high and high schools. Uh, and then, of course, we went through an entire generation where schools were gradually integrated. There were fights over uh, busing. That was a huge issue because even if you had schools based, just on their neighborhood and children attended schools based on geography, going to their local school. Well, if neighborhoods tend to be segregated, which they were, um, whether voluntarily or because of redlining or because of discrimination, if neighborhoods are segregated and you have schools based on your local neighborhood, well, of course, the schools are going to be segregated. So a lot of courts around the country started ordering busing. So you'd have students from the inner city bus to the suburbs and students from the suburbs bus to the inner city. A lot of parents in the country were up in arms over that, so that's how it started. Was the idea to end the separate but equal, and to end it, you know, all throughout the school system. And there, there's just entire books have been written about this. Mm. Uh, uh, the NAACP legal defense fund wa- waged a war on this for decades. That's how Thurgood Marshall, the first black American serving on the US Supreme Court, really made his name. You know, he was a civil rights crusader as an attorney. And he especially made his name in uh, some of the civil rights cases uh, in terms of education. But that's where it comes from. I see. The, the, the question now is, do we really still need that? Uh, that's the first question. Do we still need it in the 21st century when, despite what's happened in the very recent past, you know, for one to two generations after Martin Luther King, we began to develop more of a colorblind society, not perfect. I and mean, you and I know as Catholics, we live in a fallen world, we'll never be perfect, mm-hmm. but uh, we don't live in an era of Jim Crow anymore. We don't live in an era of segregated schools, despite what some of the, uh, our radical opponents would say. Um, and then the second question is, if you want to fight racial discrimination, is, is it wise and is it fair to use another form of racial discrimination in your efforts to oppose racial discrimination. If it's wrong to discriminate against somebody because they're one color, why is it right to, to try to fix that by discriminating against somebody of a different color?
2: <laughs> that is the million dollar question, Brent. Uh, definitely. I'm I'm interested to see how the case is going to play out, but uh, thank you so much for keeping us abreast of that situation there and uh, for for always filling us in on what's going on in the world of law. Brent Haynes, what a man. He's awesome. Well, that's going to do it for this particular segment. But right after the break, we're going to play our game show, Fear and Trembling, and new prizes are at stake. We're going to draw that prize on Friday. So do make sure to call one 757 9424 You could be the first person on the line to get a chance to win this week's prize. 1-877-757-9424. Don't go away.
8: 1 Timothy, it says that Jesus is our sole mediator, yet we pray to Mary and the saints. Is that going against the Bible?
4: 1 Timothy 2, verse 5 says, There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. By praying to the saints, we're accused of going against the Bible because it seems we are making the saints mediators between God and man, not just Jesus. In the Old Testament, we see that Moses, Abraham, and Job interceded on behalf of others. That's mediating between God and man. Plus, we know that it is okay to ask others here on earth to pray and intercede for us. That's mediating between God and man. So once again, we have a situation where a passage of the Bible is being misinterpreted and misunderstood. There is only one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. But as members of the body of Christ, he allows us to share in his mediation. Scripture says that we have only one foundation, Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 3.11. But Scripture says that there is more than one foundation, Ephesians 2.19 and 20. Scripture says that we have only one Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians four verses four and five. But Scripture says there is more than one Lord, Revelations nineteen sixteen. Scripture says that we have only one Judge, Jesus Christ, James four verse twelve. But Scripture tells us there is more than one Judge, 1 Corinthians six verse two. Contradictions in Scripture? No, not when these passages are read in context. Jesus is the only foundation, Jesus is the only Lord, and Jesus is the only judge, but we are members of Jesus' body. Therefore, we are able, according to the graces given by Christ, to share in Jesus' role as foundation, as Lord and as judge, and in other aspects of Christ as well. Another example, as a father, I share in God's role as the Father by His grace. And so also the saints in heaven can and do share in Christ's role as mediator.
0: A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul.
9: Welcome to another round of Fear and Trembling. The Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. And
2: now your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. I am not Joe McClain. I am Rudy Carlos filling in for Joe. Probably my last day filling in for Joe. But it's time for our game. Fear and trembling where new prizes are at stake, but first things first, we do need a call on the line to win this week's prize, which I'll happily tell you about in just a moment. Call right now one eight seven 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 five seven ninety four twenty four if you haven't played in the last month, you're welcome to call again at one eight seven 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 five seven ninety four twenty four I'll say it a little bit slower so that you could really get, get some time to get your phone out here. If you're driving, maybe pull over. one 757 9424 Now, there are secrets and agendas, as our good friend Joe McLean says, about this show, and one of them is this. Now, you got to promise not to say this out loud. Don't tweet about it. Don't cancel us on Twitter or anything like that. The secret is... You don't need to know the answers to the questions I'm going to ask, because I'm going to ask our good friend Mike Koeniger, who's filling in for me, and I'm going to ask Adrian Fonseca, the PhD in everything, the question. And they're going to answer, one of them is going to answer truthfully, and the other one is going to answer untruthfully. And all you have to do is discern who is telling the truth, who is telling a lie, and every correct answer goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize, which happens to be... A listener-sponsored prize. And I just want to say thank you so much, Gloria Lopez, one of our dear listeners. She has generously offered an Every Sacred Sunday Mass Journal. I am holding it here on our live video feed. If you're on the radio, I invite you to check out Every Sacred Sunday. They have these beautiful journals here. This is cloth-bound, hard-bound. It's got a beautiful uh, uh, separator here, a ribbon for uh, every single scripture. And what this contains is all of the scriptures for every Sunday. And that, I believe that starts in Advent for the the start of the liturgical year there. And uh, you have also a space here to journal out all of those holy inspirations that you're going to get during the Mass, during the homily. Uh, lots of space there to write out your reflections. And it's going to help you to grow in your faith and also understand the scriptures a little bit more when you have that with you at Mass, so I want to say thank you again, Gloria Lopez, for sponsoring our game show this week with this wonderful Every Sacred Sunday uh, Mass Journal. Thank you again. Now, I do, I do believe we have somebody on the line, Adrian. Who do we have on the line to play the game?
1: Um, Maria is calling from San Antonio, Texas. Maria, good morning to you. Good morning.
2: What a beautiful name, Maria. I thought for a second my daughter was calling me and uh that would have been that would have been crazy because she can't talk <laughs> but, what we we uh, to find out <laughs> yeah i know uh but how are things in san antonio maria
0: doing okay thank you very much uh, a little bit cold but not that much
2: so very nice where do you go to mass uh
0: saint padre pio
2: saint padre pio hey, very good nice i didn't even know there was a padre pio church in san antonio that's cool that's awesome maria have you ever played the game before
0: Yes, a while back.
2: Okay, so maybe you remember the rules, or would you like me to go over them again?
0: Uh, no, sir, I think I'll remember well.
2: <laughs> well, very good. Well, then I think we can get started here. I'm going to get started with Mike Koeniger, our friend from Virginia. And I'm going to ask you this first question, Mike. But first, I just want to say, I want to ask you, how are
3: you doing today? Are you okay? I am great, and I am just feeling really truthful at the moment. Praise be to God. Are you wearing a tie? No, absolutely not. You Ooh. know, folks who wear ties, mm, I don't know that you can trust them.
2: Maria, Tricky Mike is not wearing a tie, I should tell you that. I should tell you that. I don't know what that means. I still don't know what that means. Adrian's wearing a blue tie. I'm wearing a striped tie. But in any case, Mike, the first question is, who is the patron saint of Carpenter's?
3: Oh, that's an easy one, Rudy. It's the second greatest tecton who ever lived. Second greatest tecton, St. Joseph.
2: St. Joseph. Okay. I think I've seen a couple of statues with him with a mallet before. Okay, that makes a little bit of sense here. Let's ask Adrian Fonseca, who is a P has a Ph.D. in carpentry. That's Uh, true. Adrian, who is the patron saint of carpenters? Well... I don't know who this
1: St. Joseph guy is. Uh, sounds made up to me. He
2: was a stairman. He <laughs> built staircases.
1: I don't know. I think people are making things up. I've never heard of this person. <laughs> but as someone with a PhD in, in carpentry, don't ask me to uh, to make you anything. I just know about it. I can't. I can actually make it. Oh, uh,
2: you know yeah. about the joiner. Yeah, exactly. I, I know what it is. Yeah,
1: But that would be actually St. Carpuntanus.
2: Carpentanos
1: and uh, they actually named hmm. the uh, the the skill of carpentry after him
2: Ah, so he was a Roman then you know it okay you know it. Maria you have options Mike says it's Saint Joseph the terror of demons carpenter stepfather and Adrian says uh, it's Saint Carpentanos uh, which the trade was named after what say you Maria?
0: Oh, I'm really having dogs. <laughs> Let's
2: go with Mike. you going to go with Mike? Are you sure? Yes. Let's go. Duh. You are in for Duh. one into the coffee cup of Divine Providence. Duh. Let's see if we can get you in for a couple more here. I'm going to go to Adrian for the second question here. Adrian. That's my name to wear it out. I got a serious question for you. Okay, man. go ahead. Listen. Okay, I'm listening. Somebody came up to me the other day and they wanted they wanted me to join this organization. Okay. I, I know you're 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 pretty informed about this stuff. So, let me ask right. you this. Are Catholics allowed to be a member of DeMolay?
1: Oh, yes, yes, DeMolay. As well, you know, as someone who identifies as a uh, PhD in membership, um, <laughs> I'm aware of all memberships, including those about the DeMolay. And of course, Catholics can be part of a demolet. There isn't there just they're just like a group of, of guys that like to hang out together, they uh go and do service projects, play huh. video games, that kind of thing, right? So, oh. so it's pretty cool.
2: Sounds like the guys that kept me up all night uh, hanging out in the pool, hanging out uh They may have been members of the
1: Demolet. Maybe members of Demolet. I doubt it <clears> though
3: <throat> for all no right. reasons.
2: Let's go to Mike. Mike. Are Catholics allowed to be a member of Demolet?
3: Well, first off, Rudy, you're way too old to be a member of Demolay. Uh <laughs> Demolay may have been a good man, but, but no, we cannot belong to that Freemasonic organization. Oh, what? Freemasonics.
2: Oh, okay. All right, Maria, you have options here. Mike says, no, obviously not. You can't join a Freemason society because, you know, uh, Pope... Uh, Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. I'm forgetting his name. Pope, uh, Pope Leo Thirteenth said no. And Adrian says that you can join the organization of Demolay. What say you, Maria? Ah, I'll
0: go with Mike again.
2: Okay. Are you sure? No, you can't trick Maria. Maria. <laughs> you are so wise, Maria. Way to go, Maria.
0: Actually, I, I didn't know what was Demolay, but listening is like I... I guess you're giving
2: me the clue so I'll go. With <laughs> yeah. Pope Leo XIII oh, yeah. was pretty clear. You can't join any Freemasonic uh, group. It's it's pretty obvious why. Uh, yeah, you should and, check out his uh Masonicical Is it. in fact a Freemasonic group. Ooh, so sounds go. uh maybe Portuguese, Demolay. I don't know. All right. In any case, we are going to go back to Mike for this third question here and we're going to see if we can get you three times into the coffee cup of divine providence. Mike what term refers to books of the Bible of doubtful authenticity or certain falsity? For example, the Gospel of James.
3: Or, or the Gospel of Thomas. Those Are those the books you're talking about, really? What about the one with the giants? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think we call those extra canonical. Extra canonical.
2: Extra canonical. Okay, Maria, we got uh, extra canonical from Mike. And Adrian, what say you? What term refers to books of the Bible of doubtful authenticity or certain falsity? For example, the Gospel of James and the one with the uh, the giant angels.
1: Ah, yes, the one with the giant angels. You're talking about the Book of Enoch.
2: Ah, Enoch. That's yeah, right. yeah, there that's you go. Fun.
1: Well, that would be apocrypha. Apocrypha, which means false, spurious, bad, or heretical. Which ah. the Protestants like to say that uh, that some of the Catholic books
2: are apocrypha. I see. Okay, Maria, we have apocrypha from uh, our good friend here, Adrian Fonseca, and we have extra canonical from our good friend Mike. What say you? Well, I'll go
10: with
0: Adrian this time. I think he. Wow. A little bit right. <laughs> A
2: little bit right. Wow. <laughs> Maria, you are so wise. You're in for three into the coffee cup of divine providence. Praise be to
1: God. Way to go, Maria. Praise be to God. You know, it's scientifically proven. That the You have to trust the science. You know, the, the science, capital S, trademark, trademark. over the E. Uh, the science says that if you go with Adrian, you'll get 10 times smarter, 10 times more attractive. I heard it takes off 20, 30 years after your life. Uh, so you're into becoming <laughs> younger as well. It's pretty amazing. Um, but trust the science. Don't do back check me.
2: All right, Maria. Well, we're going to put you on hold. Thank you so much for playing with us this morning. And dear listener, I just I just want to apologize there. I took the Lord's name in vain. I did not mean to do that. It was a complete mistake. But a good learning opportunity to say... We should not be taking the name of the Lord in in vain. Stay on so hold, Maria. Stay on hold right there. We're going to get your information. And that's going to do it for Catholic Drive Time. But we are about to go into our off-the-air segment, which happens to be the After Show. And if you want to join us and interact with us live, we would love to have you on there. Join us. Talk about what you did for All Saints Day. What are you going to do for All Souls Day? Join us. We're going to have a conversation about how you can get all of those different indulgences that you can you can get for those holy souls in purgatory. But it's been wonderful to be with you for these past two weeks while Joe is gone. Joe should be back tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening to Catholic drive time. And if you want to join us on the after show segment, make sure to go to GRN online forward slash CDT. And you're going to see all of those different links where we stream to. You can join us there at any time, right after this after show, right after this break. Hope to see you then until tomorrow. God bless us and Mary. Keep us. See you then
11: Welcome to the Holy Mass at Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel. Today we celebrate the commemoration of all the faithful departed. The intention for today's mass is for all of our online viewers, for those joining us through Guadalupe Radio, and for their faithful faithful departed. All the world is God's own field,
10: fruit unto his praise to yield. Wheat and tares together sown, Unto joy or sorrow grow. First the blade and then the ear, Then the full corn shall appear. Grant, O harvest, Lord, that we Wholesome grain and pure may be.
9: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all.
11: And with your spirit.
9: Let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do. Through my fault,
5: Christe song, Kiri song,
10: Kiri
5: Let us pray Listen kindly to our prayers, O Lord And as our faith in your Son raised from the dead is deepened So may our hope of resurrection for your departed servants Also find new strength Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen.
12: Reading from the Book of Wisdom The just man, though he die early, shall be at rest. For the age that is honorable comes, not with the passing of time, nor can it be measured in terms of years. Rather, understanding is the hoary crown for men and an unsullied life, the attainment of old age. He who pleased God was loved. He who lived among sinners was transported, snatched away lest wickedness pervert his mind or deceit beguile his soul. For the witchery of paltry things obscures what is right and the whirl of desire transforms the innocent mind. Having become perfect in a short while, he reached the fullness of a long career, for his soul was pleasing to the Lord. Therefore he sped him out of the midst of wickedness. But the people saw and did not understand, nor did they take this into account. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord is my shepherd, there is nothing I shall want.
11: The Lord is my shepherd, there is nothing I shall want.
12: The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And verdant pastures, he gives me repose. Beside restful waters, he leads me. He refreshes my soul. The
11: The Lord Lord is is my shepherd. shepherd. There There is is nothing nothing I shall
12: want. He guides me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk in the dark valley, I fear no evil. For you are at my side. With your rod and your staff that give me courage. The
11: The Lord Lord is is my
12: shepherd. There There is nothing I shall want. Though I walk in the valley of darkness... I fear no evil you spread the table before me in the sight of my foes you anoint my head with oil my cup overflows the The lord Lord is is my shepherd shepherd. there There is is nothing nothing i I shall want only goodness and kindness follow me all the days of my life and i shall dwell in the house of the lord for years to come the lord Lord is is my shepherd shepherd. there There is is nothing nothing i shall want reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Romans. Brothers and sisters, hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For Christ, while we were still helpless, died at the appointed time for the ungodly. Indeed, only with difficulty does one die for a just person, though perhaps for a good person one might even find the courage to die. But God proves his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more, then, since we are now justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath? Indeed, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, how much more, once reconciled, will we be saved by his life? Not only that, but we also boast of God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God.
10: Alleluia, 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 alleluia. Come, you are you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Alleluia!
11: Alleluia! Alleluia! The Lord be with you and with your spirit. A reading
9: from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to his disciples. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne, and all the nations will be assembled before him. And he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right, and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink, a stranger and you welcomed me, naked and you clothed me, ill and you cared for me, in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and visit you? And the king will say to them in reply, Amen, I say to you, Whatever you did for one of these least brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you accursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. A stranger, and you gave me no welcome. Naked, and you gave me no clothing. Ill, and in prison, and you did not care for me. Then they will answer and say, Lord, When did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger or naked or ill or in prison, and not minister to your needs? He will answer them, Amen, I say to you, what you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And these will go off to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Today we celebrate the commemoration of all the faithful departed, or All Souls Day, or Dia de los Muertos. This is a a day where we commemorate not just one day, but the whole month of November the Church celebrates all Hallows Tide when we pray during this entire month for all the souls in purgatory. Now, the Church teaching is that after someone dies... And they are if they are not yet perfect in, in the in perfect charity and perfect union with God and still have the effects of sin from their life, they can go to a, a place of purgation, of purification. Now, many Christians believe that God purifies us after death because nothing impure can be in God's presence; it must be made holy. But uh, a lot of Baptists and Lutherans think that just it will happen like God, you know, Jesus gives a wink and boom, it happens. But St. Augustine, his teaching, and the church fathers teach us that because sin happened with our, you know, we weren't created, God didn't choose to, he we had no choice in being created, but we had definitely had choice in being redeemed. And because we have choice in that, because we have accepted it Perfectly or imperfectly, we have to, our will, our freedom is what needs to be purified. And that's ultimately what purgatory is. It's a, a this, this state of purification where you have, we have to be purified. And I love the way a uh, saint, uh, a couple of those saints put it. When, if you saw somebody on the street and they were on fire and they were in pain, you would want to do something for them. And so praying for the souls in purgatory is an act of charity. It's an act of doing something. And, and that's exactly what, uh, purifies them is charity. They're being purified by the fires of, of charity because they do not yet possess it. And, uh, you know, charity, like a fire, consumes everything that is not yet charity into itself, like the properties of, of, of fire. So if you did see someone on the street, it would be very kind for you to do that, to, to pray for them or to help them, uh, not be on fire. And that's exactly what praying for the the faithful departed is and and the the greatest prayer, of course, is offering the holy sacrifice of the mass and that is from the first Christian century uh that Christians have offered the sacrifice of the mass for the repose of the souls of the of the dead, and you can see all the the martyrs um you know and if you go to Rome, you can see that all of the the collection of all the, the martyrs and the faithful departed, where they, they used to go and pray for uh, the faithful departed. And we continue that tradition today, but especially it gives you hope for, you know, gives me so much hope that there is such a place because if there, you know, there's so many people that, that are not perfect, they they might be very good and might be very holy, but they're not not patient all the time. They're not perfectly kind all the time, and this is, gives us so much hope that uh, you know God really wants to save as many as He possibly can uh, who die not in a state of, of perfection but are trying to get there, so we thank God for the the merciful gift of purgatory, and we pray for the faithful departed, eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon him. May their souls and the souls of the faithful departed through the mercy of God, rest in peace. Let us bring our petitions to the Lord. We pray for the whole church, especially the church suffering in purgatory, that God may purify them, make them holy, and bring them to the fullness of union with himself in heaven. For this we pray to the Lord.
11: Lord, hear our prayer.
9: We pray for our Holy Father, O bishops and priests, that may lead the church with wisdom and courage. We pray to the Lord.
11: Lord, hear our prayer.
9: For government leaders, for an end to abortion, same-sex unions, gender confusion, and human trafficking, we pray to the Lord.
11: Lord, hear our prayer.
9: We pray for the sick, the suffering, the poor, and that we may respond to Jesus in his disguise of human misery. For these, we pray to the Lord.
11: Lord, hear our prayer.
9: We pray for all of our beloved dead, all the souls in purgatory, especially those in our families. For these, we pray to the Lord.
11: Lord, hear our prayer.
9: Heavenly Father, we ask you to hear these and all our petitions, for we make them in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Through the powerful intercession of our Mother Mary's, we pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen.
10: Lead kindly light amid the encircling gloom, lead thou me on. The night is dark, and I am far from home, lead thou me on. Lord, thou keep thou my feet, I do not ask to see The distant scene, one step enough for me. So long thy power hath blessed me, sure it still, Will lead me on. O'er moor and fen, O'er crag and torrent till The night is gone. And with the morn Those angel faces smile Which I have loved. Long since and lost a while.
9: Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father.
11: May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and glory of his name, for our good and the good of all his holy
9: church. Look favorably on our offerings, O Lord, so that your departed servants may be taken up into glory with your Son, in whose great mystery of love we are all united who lives and reigns for ever and ever.
11: Amen. The
9: Lord be with you.
11: And with your spirit.
9: Lift up your hearts.
11: We lift them up to the Lord.
9: Let us give thanks to the Lord our God.
11: It is right and just.
9: It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks, Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, through Christ our Lord, in Him, the hope of the blessed resurrection has dawned, that those saddened by the certainty of dying might be consoled by the promise of immortality to come. Indeed, for your faithful Lord, life is changed, not ended. And when this earthly dwelling turns to dust, an eternal dwelling is made ready for them in heaven. And so with angels and archangels, with thrones and dominions, and with all the hosts and powers of heaven, we sing the hymn of your glory, as without end we acclaim.
10: Sanctus, Sanctus,
5: Sanctus Dominus Deus Abahut, pleni Unce Lea Terra, Gloria Tuha, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus, Quivenit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. for ever and ever.
10: Amen.
5: Preceptis salutare bus moniti, et divinitstitut si formati, audehemus dicere, Pater noster qui es in celis, sanctifice tuhum, nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum. Fiat voluntas tua, sicut IN utinque lohuet in terra. Panem nostrum QUOTIDIHANUM hanum da nobis hodie. Et miten nobis debita nostra. SICUT et nos debitoribus nostris. Et ne nos inducas in temptationem
10: We told his peccata mundi, miserere no hobis. Agnus de he, we told his peccata mundi, miserere no hobis. Agnus de he, we told his peccata mundi.
9: communion antiphon i am the resurrection and the life says the lord whoever believes in me even though he dies will live and everyone who lives and believes in me will not die forever
10: The king of love, my shepherd is, whose goodness faileth never. I nothing lack if I am his, and he is mine forever. Where streams of living water flow, My ransomed soul he leadeth, And where the verdant pastures grow, With food celestial feedeth. PERVERSE AND FOOLISH OFT I STRAYED, BUT YET IN LOVE HE SOUGHT ME, AND ON HIS SHOULDER GENTLY LAID, AND HOME REJOICING BROUGHT ME. In death's dark veil I fear no will. With Thee, dear Lord, beside me, Thy rod and staff my comfort still, Thy cross before to guide me. Thou spreadst the table in my sight, Thy high grace bestoweth, and oh, what transport and delight from thy pure chalice floweth. And so through all the length of days thy goodness faileth never. Good Shepherd, may I sing thy praise within thy house forever.
5: Let us pray. Grant, we pray, O Lord, that your departed servants, for whom we have celebrated this Paschal Sacrament, may pass over to a dwelling place of light and peace, through Christ our Lord. Amen.
9: The Lord be with you. And And with with your your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in the peace of Christ. Thanks be to God.
10: In Paradisum De Ducante Anceli, In Tuo Adventu, Sucipi Ante Martires, E per Ducante, In Civitatem sa
9: The Prayer to St. Michael
0: Celebrating the culture of life. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Hi,
6: I'm Peter Lombardi, owner of Visiting.